I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal, and today our guest is Pierre Genton, the Chief Legal Officer and a Senior Partner at McKinsey. Pierre, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to talk about your career path, which has been unusually varied for a lawyer. And we're also going to discuss how in-house and outside counsel roles differ, what skill sets each require, and why you've gravitated to in-house positions, and then a little bit about what you do outside of work and how that affects how you approach your job. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and the start of your legal career. I was a humanities student in college. My focus really was poetry in particular, but broadly the humanities, classics, philosophy, history, music, art, that sort of thing. And I blame most of the things in life on my wife, who I was uh, kind of chasing at the time. We'd known each other since high school, and she's a year older than I am. So she was graduating from college and going off to law school herself. And I didn't want to lose her, basically. So I decided to go to law school myself. And it was a wonderful decision, both going to law school and, and ending up with her. So I'm tongue in cheek when I say I blame her, but that's really what happened. I didn't really have a deep understanding of law as an undergraduate. I took an unusual course, which was a federal Indian law course, a kind of an unusual area of US law, but it was, it exposed me as a senior in college to what legal thinking was. And when I got to law school, I was struck by just the philosophical nature of law. It's a discipline which in the public mind is not viewed as particularly philosophical or sometimes particularly positive. But when you study constitutional law and contracts and torts and the bedrock issues of law in the United States, you realize that what we're really talking about is what kind of society do we want to have? What does justice mean when it's implemented in practice in an evolving social context? So I have found the law tremendously exciting and interesting to study. And then I think when you practice it, you have all the additional dimensions of psychology and business and other facets. So it's been a good run. And then talk about the early part of your career. You started out at a law firm and then transitioned to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Yes, I was a summer associate at LaBeouf Lamb, and I went back to LaBeouf when I graduated from law school. It was an interesting firm. It was an international firm which had a real focus in regulated industries, in particular the utility and insurance industries. So I was a young litigation associate and I learned about depositions and I started to get a flavor for the internal dynamics of a law firm. But the opportunity came up to apply to the U.S. Attorney's Office. There had been a hiring freeze in the early 1990s and the freeze was lifted. So I kind of threw my hat in the ring. I, I very much wanted to be in the civil division. My interest has always been in more in civil issues. And I was able to join the office in 1995. I was hired by Mary Jo White, who was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District at the time. And then how long did you spend the U.S. attorney's office? And then talk about where your career went from there. Well, I joined the U.S. Attorney's Office, which was a phenomenal experience, as it is, I think, for virtually everyone who works as an assistant U.S. attorney. You are, as a quite a young lawyer, thrown into a situation where you have all sorts of different opposing counsel, from solo practitioners to the biggest, most well-resourced law firms in the world on the other side. And you have very few resources, actually, as a government lawyer. You are researching the briefs yourself. You're 
arguing everything yourself. You are drafting, writing the papers yourself. So what you learn is hard work. You learn confidence because you get up in front of a judge. And if your arguments and your advocacy is better, you can win the case. You can win the motion, you can win the appeal. You learn how to stand strong when you get kicked around, which is part of being a courtroom lawyer. But it's an incredibly wonderful experience. I just think anyone who has the opportunity to be an AUSA, it's such a privilege and it's such a wonderful job. There's such camaraderie in the office, not just among the lawyers, but among the paralegals and the other people who are all part of the team that is getting the work done in the U.S. Attorney's Office. But one day I got a call from somebody I had known at LaBeouf, who was not a lawyer. She was part of the legal administration team. And she said, listen, I'm now at a bank. We're looking for a litigation lawyer. Would you be interested? And I didn't know anything about banking. I had no background in securities law or economics, but I was intrigued by it. Uh, At that point, uh, we were expecting a child. So I knew I was going to have to leave the government and figure out a way to make some money and So I figured, you know, I'll give it a shot. And I was there 18 years. (laughs) And talk about your role in-house or at Credit Suisse and how that role evolved over your time there. Well, one of the things about a varied and great global institution, especially if you join it when you're fairly young, I was 30 when I joined Credit Suisse, is that it provides a lot of opportunity. If you are curious and hardworking and develop as a professional, then opportunities come to you. And I was very fortunate there for almost 20 years. I started out as a junior person in litigation. I ended up becoming head of litigation for the Americas and head of litigation for the investment bank, ultimately global head of litigation, regulatory investigations and employment law for the bank. I was head of reputational risk on the risk side. I was general counsel for the research division, and I did all sorts of different roles. But beyond the titles and the roles specifically, I learned so much about managing people and working cross-functionally with colleagues. I learned what it is to interact with people in the management team or with people on the board. That was all part of my job because for financial services, litigation and regulatory and reputation issues are material pretty much all of the time. So by definition, I was interacting with the senior most leadership of the bank for a long period of time. So I learned a tremendous amount. And it's sad what has happened with Credit Suisse in more recent years, but I was fortunate to be there during its heyday. And it was a wonderful place with wonderful people. Talk about what that move to management was like for you and how you gained those skills, which are very different from the skills you develop as a young lawyer and that you would have developed at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Yeah, I used to describe my job at Credit Suisse as a third law, a third business, and a third psychiatry practicing medicine without a license. I think If you aspire to be a strong professional, there is no shortcut for establishing, as you suggest, the base case, which is strong professional elements. So if you're a litigation lawyer, writing well, speaking well, getting into courtrooms and framing your arguments, focusing on what's important, respecting your client's time, understanding how to be tight and germane and focused and practical in your recommendations and your assessments. Those are traits that simply you have to develop and you have to do the hard work over time. And it's not something that happens overnight. This is years of professional development, but that's what makes the great foundation, I think, of good lawyering. 
what is more fun over time are the additional dimensions that you start to learn, which is how do business people think? What's on their mind? How do you talk to them in an effective way? How do you work through such a wide range of issues that a large scaled public regulated financial services company has, whether they are sensitive employment issues or, or negotiating with governments or politicians or regulators around the world, whether they're dealing with internal issues of personality and culture. These are issues where you need more than the core practical professional excellence. You need to find within yourself ways of engaging with other people on a human level and communicating with them in subtle ways and moving things forward in big and small ways. So that is why I think a, an ecosystem like a big company is so exciting because you have the opportunity to be an influencer in so many different ways that fall outside of the strict contours of a box in which you sit, which is perhaps your title, your role. Obviously, corporate lawyers need a lot of those skills in dealing with their clients. Talk about the different emphasis on those skills, how they might be used differently by a lawyer at a large firm and a lawyer in an in-house position. I think that one of the differences between being a senior law firm lawyer and a senior in-house lawyer is Certainly, if you're talking about a scaled global corporation, the breadth of what is going on is simply different from a law firm. The law firm's business model, even large law firms, it's an advisory model. People are great lawyers. They serve clients, represent clients in different contexts. But when you're talking about a scaled global corporation, you're talking about a level of breadth, just a variance in terms of business activities all over the world. That is just unmatched by any law firm. I mean, you're dealing with companies with tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people operating in dozens and dozens of countries with different legal and cultural norms. And the nature of the businesses are far more varied. Uh, obviously, in financial services, you've got equity and fixed income and investment banking. You've got lending. You've got structuring. You've got so many different dimensions of different kinds of business activity. And they really are quite different. I think law firms obviously varied and enormously different in terms of scale, but it's not in the same way. And so I think that the one big difference is that the role of a senior professional in a company is to help safeguard the well-being of the company itself across all of those different dimensions and populations and stakeholders internally. And it's just a much bigger feel to play in than you would find in terms of looking at the internal operations of a law firm. And I don't minimize in any way how important it is for law firms to attend to how they're structured, how they're managing talent, what their internal culture is. But I don't think you can compare it to the opportunity that is offered in a very, very large scaled global corporation, particularly one that's viewed as one of the most significant financial services companies in the world. Discuss the challenge of attracting and retaining talent, both at a law firm and in an in-house department, and how younger lawyers should think about their career development in both places. Well, I think there are commonalities and there are differences. The commonality is, I think that the best way to inspire and apprentice younger lawyers is to, again, 
acknowledge both the need to focus in a very serious way on craft, on developing the traits and the components of professional excellence as a lawyer, but also equally to develop as a human being, to develop as an aspirational human being. And that has to do with how do you build real relationships with clients, not simply transactional relationships? How do you build real longstanding relationships with colleagues and associates or others, whether they stay in your organization or whether they don't? Ultimately, it's about people. It's not about institutions. So I think there's real commonality between law firms and the in-house experience in that regard. But I also think there are structural differences. The law firm model is an up and out model. So at some point, there's a career track, which is either going to result in the person staying at the law firm or leaving. And so the issue becomes, how do you position that person for success, whether they're going to stay at the law firm or whether they're going to leave, which is an equally legitimate and something, in my view, that law firms should be very supportive of. For the in-house experience, the challenge is different. You're dealing with a pyramid support function structure where there are limits in terms of the ability to promote people the ability to pay people relative to other more lucrative ways of practicing law externally. So I think what's important in terms of the in-house experience is to foster a sense, a holistic sense of community where the issues of promotion and, and compensation are factors, of course, but there's also the issue of the quality of the work, the opportunity to influence a very large, scaled and important company the ability to work with extraordinary clients internally and have a depth of relationship with those clients internally, which is not matchable in the law firm context. So there are enormous positive opportunities that great companies offer lawyers internally that you can point to and you have to point to because that's part of the big picture. So I think painting the full contextual picture of what both opportunities, law firms and in-house counsel positions involve is a big part of getting it right analytically. And then talk a little bit about mentorship. Mentorship is absolutely critical. It's a trite thing to say, but it, it's obviously true that we look back and it's bosses that we worked for, people who influenced us have profound, profound influence on who we become, what we choose to do. And I think mentorship starts at a very early stage. We all have the ability to learn from each other. We all have the ability to positively influence and encourage each other. And influence and mentorship is an absolute gift. Anybody knows if they've had employment reviews that the most unhelpful review in the world is where somebody tells you, you're doing a great job, just keep doing what you're doing. It's the review where somebody says, here's where you need to focus on fixing this or addressing that or emphasizing that more or de-emphasizing that. Those are not always easy words to hear in the moment, but that's the mentorship that is going to make you a great person and a great professional over time. So those are actually the most valuable things you can be told. And so I think a culture, which McKinsey does quite well, of mentorship and honest feedback, I think is part of the, the secret sauce of the firm. You moved back to private practice after your time at Credit Suisse. Talk about that move. Well, I decided at a certain point that I had been at Credit Suisse almost 20 years. I was getting close to 50 years old. I had been in the role that I had been in for about 10 years, head of litigation and what have you. And I started to wonder what would be next because I felt that 
if I didn't sort of attend to that in a pretty proactive way, I, things would just kind of roll forward. And I would find myself years later in the same role and same, you know, it, it took me a long time to get to that place. There were a lot of opportunities along the way, but I did find that I got to a place where it was hard for me to see what the next move would be internally. And so I did start to have some discussions with leadership about what I might do. And ultimately, I went to a law firm and it turned out to be a great experience. I mean, Credit Suisse was a, you know, an important client of the firm. It was a much more important client. Once I got there, the, the bank was comfortable with, uh, with our law firm representing them. You know, it was a somewhat unusual move in the sense that I think I was the seventh lateral partner in a hundred years at the law firm. So it was not a common occurrence. But my thinking was, if you want to have a varied career as a business lawyer, being a law firm partner is a pretty important component. I mean, first of all, law firms are a, a critical part of the overall ecosystem of the provision of legal services. It was also important for me to try to take some of the lessons that I had learned over 18 years or so in the business world and try to apply them in the law firm context. So, for example, mentorship of associates or placing much less emphasis on hierarchy. You know, I think law firms are still very hierarchical, whereas it's been my experience that good and unusual ideas actually come from people of different levels of experience. I also think that understanding the economics of a law firm is very valuable to an in-house lawyer or a general counsel. It helps you understand much better the business of law, the motivations of law firm partners, and also, you know, bringing in business, which I think is so important to being a successful law firm partner. And it's a muscle you can't really exercise as much as an in-house lawyer. What did you learn being at a law firm about how law firms operate and interact with your clients that you hadn't perceived in quite the same way from your time in-house at Credit Suites? Was there anything that surprised you about law firm life? I think that companies, the corporate world in general, has spent a lot more time than law firms have in terms of internal culture. I think there is an understanding more broadly in the business world that what we might call talent management or what I would call professionalism and passion, inspiration, fostering a sense of community, that has enormous benefits in terms of internal culture, productivity, idea generation, long-term loyalty to the institution long after people have left the company. Those are ideas that I think are pretty well embedded in the great businesses today that we find. And I don't think they are as broadly understood in the law firm context. So I think that's one thing that somewhat surprised me. I also think that one of the realities and one of the differences of being a law firm lawyer and at a great law firm is when you are a head of litigation or a general counsel, you spend your time on the most important strategic issues that are coming up for your client, for your company. When you're a law firm partner, your job is to make sure that everything that is being done for the client is being done well. Whether it's big or small or important or less important, you have to take all of that very, very seriously. So you might have a conversation where a, a general counsel spends half an hour working through an issue and making decisions. The law firm partner and his or her team might have spent two weeks or more preparing for that half an hour meeting. So it's a different role. It's a different role. And I think, you know, law firms are very good traditionally at 
sort of kicking the tires on all issues, big or small, and, and being ready for that half an hour conversation. But it's different. I think if you're interested in being a strategic advisor, decision maker, executive at the highest levels, that's less of the law firm role. Obviously, that's more of an internal executive company role. Why did you move to McKinsey and what appealed to you about being the CLO there? I always quote John Lennon, who said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. What I found when I was at the law firm was that I actually got a number of calls about general counsel roles, and I wasn't particularly interested in pursuing them, but some were quite interesting. The McKinsey one came to me as a cold call from a headhunter. I was not expecting it at all, but it seemed quite intriguing. First of all, this was the first time in the firm's history that they had actually tried to hire a general counsel. My predecessor at McKinsey had been the very first lawyer that McKinsey had ever hired back in the mid-1980s. She practiced internally by herself for some years, and then over time, as the firm scaled, she built out the scale of the department. But this was the first time in the firm's history, also almost 100 years, where the firm had gone out and said, we're going to try to hire a general counsel. And it seemed very intriguing. I knew McKinsey by reputation. I didn't know anyone there. But when I started to meet the leadership, people who were involved in the interview, it became clear very, very quickly, this is an unusual firm with unusual people. It's a firm that has a remarkable storied history and role in international business and beyond business, a role in, in advising on the most important and, and difficult problems that people face across societies around the world. So the more I started to understand the firm and got to know the people, the more intriguing the role was to me. You mentioned you got a number of headhunter calls when you were at the law firm. Talk about exploring various career opportunities that you may not end up taking and what you learn from those experiences, even if it's just a relatively short call with a headhunter. My observation has been that there are various ways that people think about career and career transitions. There's a spectrum, perhaps. On one end of the spectrum are people who constantly and fairly frequently make career changes. And they might make those career changes for incremental increases in compensation or for other reasons. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who join organizations and they stay there their whole careers, despite the opportunity to leave or change roles even within the company. They're very comfortable doing what they're doing. They might do it very well, and that's what they want. And many people, of course, are somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, which is where I am. And it's a very personal decision how you approach your career. My thesis has always been whatever you're doing, wherever you are, satisfy yourself that you are really understanding all the opportunities that you can have there over time. And don't reflexively jump, but also don't lack the confidence to try something new because change actually unlocks a level of energy and a level of a kind of a reservoir of desire to succeed, which you can't really sustain over time indefinitely in the same place. So I think it's finding that balance, which is an individual judgment for each person. I felt that the three and a half years at the law firm, the opportunity to be a general counsel was very exciting and one that I had all sorts of ideas about what I wanted to try to do. I had been effectively a deputy general counsel for many years, but I'd never actually run the department and played that role myself. So at that point, I was excited to try to do that. 
Discuss your role at McKinsey and what you're most focused on. My role is chief legal officer. I'm part of what we call the acceleration team, which is our management team. I'm also counsel to the shareholder council, which is our board. It's an elected board of senior partners. We're run as a private partnership. Legally, we are a private corporation. So I have roles in our governance. I would say that the day-to-day of what I do kind of falls into three or four categories. One is managing our legal function and public affairs function as well. So in the almost five years I've been at McKinsey, I did a complete top-to-bottom transformation of our legal function, complete restructuring, put in place a a global matrix structure designed to address the business needs of the firm. I appointed a leadership team. I appointed a second layer of team leaders within the department that I call managing council. I hired well over 100 people around the world uh, so that the department would be geographically balanced and have attracted, fortunately, some of the most talented lawyers around the world who want to come and be part of what McKinsey Legal is doing. So operating the department along with my team, uh, my leadership team, is something that I'm very focused on. I would drop a footnote there and mention the criticality of my team. It was this week that we actually had a leadership team meeting here in New York, and you just couldn't help but reflect on the incredible strength, cohesion, sense of shared mission, caring about the people in the department, desire to influence in a positive way the future of the firm that this team has. And I think anyone who's in a position of leadership is very, very focused on just how critical it is to maintain a team dynamic that allows one to advance one's agenda. You simply cannot do it by yourself. And the more you foster a sense of shared mission and passion within the team, it unlocks enormous, enormous opportunity for impact that you just can't achieve by trying to direct things and be very focused on your own role. But I think the management of the department is one dimension. I think second is working through some of our legacy legal issues and risk issues, which we're working our way through, and I think in a, in a good way. Third is, I think, being a broad influencer on the culture and the evolution of the firm. You know, McKinsey is a premier private partnership, but it's also at this point a large scaled global firm. We have 45,000 people in uh, 70 countries. We are enormously varied and in demand in our client service and client engagements, which are expanding. And we have to maintain a focus on professionalization, on best practices, on being a real leader in the space and setting the standard for our profession. So I think that's something I'm also very focused on. And finally, one of the things I have tried to do along with other members of the management team is get out there a little bit. This interview is part of that experience because McKinsey is not a public company. It's not a company that talks about itself historically. And I think in some ways that has led to a mystique, which is unnecessary and unwarranted. I think if we talk about what McKinsey is, we talk about who we are, the people, the the wonderful people that make up our organization, the sense of aspiration that this company has for its mission around the world. I think people will come to admire McKinsey in a way that they won't if they just know much less about the firm. Talk about your approach to hiring and what you look for in the people you bring on. I look for, again, I come back to a phrase that I use a lot in-house, which is professionalism and passion. Professionalism for me are the core elements of what professional excellence represents in our space. 
which for a McKinsey lawyer are threefold. It's client service, which means being responsive, being right there, being helpful, being creative, being solution-oriented, uh, being practical. Those are all traits of excellence in being a professional as a lawyer, as a legal professional, which I think we have to constantly recommit to every day. Second is protecting the firm. We are stewards of the firm, of the firm's well-being and reputation. Uh, we have to ensure that our values and our code of conduct are adhered to and reflected in what we're doing with clients all over the world and internally. And so that's a role that our lawyers uh, need to play. And the third is what I call developing relationships of trust, deepening relationships of trust with our clients internally. Ultimately, I don't want our lawyers to have transactional relationships with our clients. I want them to be real strategic advisors to them and included in issues that are not strictly legal, but where their judgment is valued. So there's a core issue of professional excellence that I think we have to aspire to. But there's also the notion of passion. Lawyers, we're not robots, we're not automatons. Uh, lawyers are incredibly dynamic and inspirational thinkers if we give them the platform to do that. And that is why we have something called our McKinsey Legal Lab, which is our internal innovation incubator, where we have our blog. We have a blog called In the Balance that goes out to 5 million people on McKinsey.com. Now we have it in different languages. It's our speakers forum. It's our music and athletic and yoga, our affiliation with universities, our alliances with teaching, volunteering, mentorship. We've just had a couple of charity runs where on their own dime, McKinsey lawyers got together and did relay races for charity for different causes around the world. This is the kind of aspirational community that we are trying to build. Professionalism and passion. That's what we need. And that's what I look for in people who are joining. I want people who are the highest caliber, top-notch professionals who are fired up and excited to throw themselves at the work that we have, which is cutting-edge work all over the world. But I also want people who are dynamic human beings, aspirational human beings who will bring themselves to the department and bring what they're passionate about and allow us to be part of that. That's what I'm looking for in terms of a McKinsey lawyer. Talk about that in the context of your own life and your interests outside of work and how they influence and inform your life as a professional. Well, alongside my professional career, I've always tried to pursue some other passions. So I've always, for example, taught. I've taught different kinds of interdisciplinary courses at Wharton. I taught for many years a, a course called Aiming High in Business and in Life, which was designed to address the issue of how developing a personal value system can help one navigate complex business dilemmas. I'm co-teaching a version of that same course next month at Tel Aviv University in their summer program. I've taught a course at Columbia Law School on called Aspiration and Action, the role of the chief legal officer. I'm going to again co-teach a similar course next year at Yale Law School. So I have tried to do university teaching in law schools and business schools and at the undergraduate level the whole time that I've been a practicing lawyer, which I really, really love. I love interacting with students, love interacting with faculty. I love what I would call blending in different intellectual inputs. So my course at Columbia had a heavy dose of the blues. What can the blues teach us about being a great lawyer or being a general counsel? Intuitively, you might think, well, what relationship does the blues have to being a great lawyer? But if you actually look at the music, if you look at the lyrics, you find that Big Bill Brunsey or Elmore James 
or a blind Willie McTell or Robert Johnson have an enormous amount to teach us about being great professionals and about being a general counsel. And beyond the specifics, I'm trying to open up people's minds to the idea that we need to follow wisdom. I call it arrows of inspiration. There are arrows of inspiration flying over us all the time. We need to grab those arrows because they will provide us with solutions and ways of thinking and solving problems that we won't achieve if we stay in our lane and we just think the same way and always have the same go-to corporate solutions. And that's something that's animated my whole life. I'm a religious Jew. I have a serious personal religious life. I like to play music. I play the, the piano and the guitar. I'm passionate about poetry and about other things. And that's just me. I find that every person, if you engage with them and you start to bring them out of their shell, which is often how that persona is how we operate in the business world, you find that there's an incredible human being in there. And I want that incredible human being to come out and be part of the community that we're trying to build. Pierre, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again for having me. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus. 